This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it back, you ain't gonna touch me, you not gonna do nothing, you are not above me, I bet you wish you was me, I know that I know. What is poppin' everybody, and welcome back to another special episode of the Only Friends Podcast. Well, you know, I'm here with my only friends. We're a little short change today. Well, we substituted people for dogs. I mean, we, got, we got the pups in the building. We're yeah. very down bad. It's stretch hat day, and our number one uh, strategy guy, the tortoise, is, is nowhere to be found. What are we, we going to do without the tort? Uh, I'm not sure that we can really go on. Do you want to just end the show now? I mean, you know, I think maybe we can find a little bit of a contribution. We do all play for a living, so there's probably something we can say about strategy but mr conservative himself is at the down bad golden nugget he sees value he takes value yeah he's playing he's playing a real valuable tournament the fucking rake, <laughs> rake is 25 percent. like how good does this kid think that he is <laughs> that he thinks he's overcoming this sort of rake this is a classic he's gonna win the tournament he's gotta win it he has to win it in order to break even <laughs> I mean, the man's just going to do it. That's what Tortoise does. We know what his ROI is in low-stakes tournaments. In a 200, it's low-stakes mm -hmm. for live. You, you know, you guys realize Tortoise got second in the tournament yesterday. He, he did. He got second in the $30 rebuy, 7K. How much was that? I think he got uh, probably like 1600 Okay. 1700 Okay. Uh, it better be over $1,000 or we're not talking about it anymore. <laughs> Yeah, there needs to be a minimum threshold of money sure. won. Like, I, I feel like sixteen hundred is barely, barely hitting that minimum. Like, I cashed for sixteen hundred yesterday, and I wasn't even going to bring it up. Yeah, that's because you you have teed the circuit again. I did. I did. Back to back days. Yeah. All right. Well, congrats, Burke. No. Nice job, Burke. No. No. Once again, I was no. chip leader <laughs> down the stretch. You uh, were. I was going coast to coast again. I got scammed. I lost Ace King to Ace King. And Ooh. then I ran it all the way back up and was chip leader again. I came in three of nine, I think. Two of nine. Two of nine. Three of nine. So close. Like Got that. ninth. Got yeah. scammed very first hand. Lost a flip. And then... Uh, yeah, he flopped a set on you. Yeah. Oh, I flopped yeah. the queen. That yeah, was no. no fun. That was no fun. That was pretty dirty. And then I busted Jax the Kings. As, as you should. <laughs> what was that? The very next hand? No. The very next hand, I got queen 10 suited versus chip leaders open i probably should just fold but i defended and uh defended small blind yeah small blind i def i decided to check raise the the nine seven three one heart board with queen ten of hearts mm. and he just stuffed it in my face spicy <laughs> spice sure we just fuck you champ shoved uh-huh didn't feel good no. <laughs> probably not the worst thing in the world yeah him fuck you shoving was doing me a favor i don't know what he's doing like bro just YOLO, man. Let you rocket it. Peel one off. Like, I get it if you have, like, jacks or tens, but... What do you do if you have tens? Fall. Yeah. I got ninth anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's about right. <laughs> Somebody said, Berkey mimicking Pat McAfee out here with the punts. <laughs> I mean, I lost three and a half blinds, guy. Like, relax. It's not, not that big of a deal, bro. Uh, I did lose 16 blinds with jacks, however. What are you going to do? It's just life, man. Uh, scammed. Lose. Scammed. Yeah, scammed. 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 Scam. I got scammed. You just got to rock, man. You just got to keep rocking. The Ace King versus Ace King was a big pot. It was like a, a 40 big blind pot. That's annoying. With it like just, 30 people left? No. With like 12. Oh, no. 
He just free rolled my ass. Fuck. Game all clubs, the Adidas clubs. It, Fuck that guy. It feels like I never get that free roll on the other side. Yeah, I would wager that you do, Conrad. I know I do. You know, I, uh, I, I would just guess. Good. I also, as a man of numbers, would wager yeah, that. Considering that you bagged second in chips in the down bad win four hundred. Uh, I would imagine you scammed a person or two along the way. I would like to call it the up good, and no, I got kings in the tens for piles at the end. <laughs> sure, I bet that was all the chips. Yeah, just, just I mean, every uh, one you bagged was probably just the kings or tens. I mean, I was a lot scummed, but, scummed know, people along the way. I mean, I probably scummed a couple. Scam, scam, scam. <laughs> <laughs> if you're out there and I scammed you yesterday, please remind me in the chat. I I was gonna I was gonna remind Marley uh, to look up in the standings whenever she posted she bagged third in chips yesterday. <laughs> yeah, Marley, Marley and Conrad, uh, the dynamic duo in the down bad 400. That's right. We were out there. That's right. I had Marley's dad at my table. We were out there. You know, it was a good time. He's a good dude. He was cool. He didn't. He didn't bag. I'm sure. No, he did not. Unfortunately, <laughs> damn, bro. <laughs> I mean, he's not going to survive the wrath of Conrad. I mean, he got out of he got out of the Conrad's way. You know, I actually just folded big blind to him because I jacked deuce off each hand. Wow. Yeah. Look at you. I know. It's soft wild. playing. I was. I was yeah, fucking was, colluding with Marley's dad. <laughs> yeah. Somebody get this guy out of the tournament. <laughs> So the good news is you'll be playing for probably 50k tomorrow. The bad news is that uh, you're almost certainly going to miss the 200th episode. Well, I mean, we can always move times, you know. Can we? I mean, we'll figure it out. Oh, tell me, tell me, because you're going to San Diego Thursday. I mean, you know, I said times, not days. Oh, okay. Well, well tell me all about it. You I mean, start at noon tomorrow. I'll probably win it by nine o'clock. And I mean, if you guys are free at like 9:30, then are you done? Someone, where's the Mike McDonald? Right. I mean, he's right here. Are, are you done? <laughs> right, maybe like 11.20. 11.20? You're going to play till 4 o'clock in the morning. Oh, no. I got a flight at 6.55. Yeah, you're going to sweat. <laughs> you're going to have to chop the tournament if you go that deep in order to make your flight. No, nah, I don't think it would be that bad. What do you mean? You're going to have probably 70 people come back. Probably like 90, but yeah. 90? 90 people. You think this thing... 90 people landed. Trust me, man. I get it. What, what was your MSPT when you came back? Oh, my God. It was 3.30 in the morning. No, I mean, how many oh. people came back to that day? Oh, uh, I think like 128. Yeah, 128, and it went to like 4 a.m. Yeah. All right, I'm, I'm cool then. So we, we, oh, okay, so we'll run the pot doing? at 2 a.m. Yeah, I was going to say, what are you guys doing around 3.30 tomorrow? Well, fuck you. <laughs> what are we doing at 6 a.m. tomorrow? Selfish. Yeah. You're a bad guy. Yeah, you're a bad guy, man. <laughs> what are you going to San Diego for? I think he is. I have to get my passport. Oh, yeah, passport. Uh I'm in a room full of irresponsible people. Hey, man, I got my mean? passport. No passport, no ID. I no. had it three months ago. I couldn't find I don't know where the fuck it was. I'm losing my mind. I'm judging you. Yeah, that's all right. Listen, the ID loss is so I can get my driver's license. No, no, you don't get to cope your way out of this I'm coping. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, I fucked up. I should have just put my no, stuff in like, my backpack. You don't need to get your ID or li driver's license. You can just use your passport everywhere. I can, but... I want to be able to drive a car. I have, a, I have saying, a very pretty decoration in the driveway. Mm, everyone's saying the sound is messed up mm. for everybody. That it's mm. popping. Oh no! We are. We do get it popping. We do get it popping. I I personally don't hear negative. I don't hear anything on my side anything. either. Yeah. Let me uh, hang on one sec. Do I talk or something? No. It doesn't sound bad. 
All right, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I just listened to it back. There's nothing popping. Yeah, you guys are lying to us. Why do you Why do you guys gaslight us like that? You, you just really <laughs> fucked us up. Like, yeah, come on, man. They come learned on. They learned from Brian yesterday talking about the Ace King about how to gaslight correctly. They know that. Yeah. <laughs> Goddamn. They know that they can gaslight. It's literally just stop the show. <laughs> what a fish, man. What a fish. They got you. I fell for it. Fuck you, Craig M. <laughs> <laughs> I see you out there. You think I. You think I don't see uh, you? No we more. See you. No more. I'm, I'm, nobody who puts anything in the chat, if they don't have a sulfur white bulb next to them, I don't believe they have good intentions. I'm not listening to them. <laughs> Someone's going to get a bulb just to troll and gaslight. Fine. Fine. Let them spend the $5 to gaslight me. Guy from Montana, Justin Gutierrez, Zach Sprague. I trust you guys. You guys are bulb members. You guys we are appreciate you. <laughs> You're not, our people. Not to be confused with bald members. That's right. Thank you guys so much. Charles Hennies, uh, I see you out there with the terrible towel. Much love. Appreciate you guys. Craig M. <laughs> Craig M., you're about to get fucking timed out, bro. J4O is about to get timed out, too. Oh, I love this Oh, no. Shit. Now there is a guy saying the audio is unlistenable. I'm literally listening to it on YouTube. It sounds fine. Try refreshing the stream. I don't know what to tell you guys. Uh, it's. I don't think it's on RM, although... What do I know, man? I'm just here to run a podcast, you know? It's funny. I You're don't a light expert. You're not a sound I, expert. Yeah, exactly. I'm the light guy. Uh, <laughs> the funny thing is, too, I don't, I don't even feel bad about it. Pat McAfee did their show yesterday from SoFi uh, Stadium, literally with the ESPN crew running the entire podcast. They have the field behind them. Like, it's just this gorgeous set. And it took them 45 minutes. to get. They, they started the show three different times. Every time they just had like some sort of technical error. And this is like ESPN level production behind them. They couldn't get it fucking going. The frame rate was off and all kinds of shit was going down. We have ESPN level production. We do. We got, we do. We, we got, got Guapo in the building. Guapo in the back, painting them in corn tortillas. Oh. <laughs> Wait, my bad. You're a flower guy, right? That's fair. So, like, if we ever dock your pay, we just give you corn instead. Yeah, that would definitely be a demotion. Yeah, I understand. Damn, bro. Nobody wants corn. Yeah, we have an ESPN level lighting guy. That's you're goddamn right, man. When you guys hiring, I got you. God, I do. Nobody does more with less than me. I mean, if they do you say guys, less is more. Yeah, if you guys saw this setup, you would just be there's like, "There's wow. 95 fucking lights in nah, here. What do you mean more with less? You have everything you need times nah. three. Don't don't fucking start, man. There's some of these soft boxes that have literally one light bulb out of the four. <laughs> actually working every day guapo comes in and tries to sabotage me he'll just randomly put a softbox in the middle of a shot and just like turn it on i'm like he's just testing you yeah he just tests me like we're three minutes into the show i'm like that looks a little bit white oh it's just oh, me that softbox man. just randomly appeared no, i see it's just me yeah you wore the you wore the blue you, shirt today so it's okay yeah i, I did good today i like my outfit. i did good, I did good today. <laughs> my outfit's nice my outfit's nice yeah it is pants good. galaxy pants light blue got the white with the hat we're good it is good. Black socks, black, black socks. Listen, man, I used to not care about style. Style's important. Take it from me, man. Style's important. Take it from you. <laughs> not that I'm style, no, like, not that I'm a stylish guy. No, like, yeah, those shorts are just screaming fucking These style, shorts are bro. fucking bussing, bro. Shut your goddamn mouth. <laughs> Put your dick away. God, I these love this fucking podcast. These shorts are so bussing, for real, for real. Man, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. This kid just brings it on himself. It's like... <laughs> I love these pants. He's been shopping at fucking uh, what, what's the, what's the what's the stoner store? Uh, uh, hot Spencer's topic. or Hot Topic? Or Spencer's, yeah, yeah. He's Zoomies. Been, he's been shopping at Zoomies. Spencer's. His shorts are literally right next to the gravity bong that they have selling in the back. He's like, that shit is busting. 
The amount of people that think that I do drugs is very high. I can understand <laughs> why. And the amount of times I say no and they're like, really? is so also very high. I can understand why. Yeah. Uh, I went on a first date last night Atta and boy. they were... And I say they because it ended up being a group date. She brought her gay best friend. <laughs> For what it's worth. I have to tell you what an awesome experience. I would let this guy wingman for me anytime, any place. He was incredible. Oh, Gatsby, what's the matter? You don't like this conversation? <laughs> it's okay, buddy. I, you know, this is why I got in a little late. I'm sorry, but you know, we'll, we'll he's literally about to start crying. I know. He, he he's was so mad. Sad. You didn't get home till late. You just I, made Gatsby true. cry. I'm sorry, buddy. You uh, made him cry. But throughout the course of this, throughout the course of the evening, they like. The conversation must have come up seven times that uh, it was just so unbelievable that I was out late with them having a good time and not drinking. Yeah. Like, I was just getting, they're like, you, you, you've you, never drank, never. And I'm like, no, like, literally I've never had a sip. They're like, I don't know what it is. This just doesn't feel right. Yeah. Honestly, it didn't feel right to me either. I was like, wait, you're out to what time in the morning and you had a good time? Bro, I had a blast. <laughs> yeah. I was like I so blast. thrown off. I was like, what the fuck? Does I was that trying mean? to explain. I'm like, I'm like, you know, for me, it's like I kind of get uh, a, a contact drunk. Like I'm not actually drunk, but it's one of those things where it's like as you become more socially uh like not liberal but comfortable, whatever, like as you become more comfortable in your element, I too blend in. I what? don't know what to do with Gatsby right yeah, now. What's wrong, buddy? Gatsby's hitting you with the triple cry. Yeah, he's just so sad. I can see his eyes watering. He won't come to you. You made him cry. <laughs> <laughs> He's just staring yeah, right that, now. Uh, that happened to me in LA, actually. Uh, there was a party going on, like just like a farewell party for, uh, for Alex and Alex Botas and friends because they're leaving LA to go to New York. And I don't drink, but I got asked so many times, like, how are you, how are you like this without drinking? I'm like, I'm just happy to be here, man. Just genuinely having a good time. Yeah, you would have had a blast in the scenario that I was in last night. Like, yeah. I think you're very good at navigating mixed company. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, I think for a lot of guys, it could be off-putting if you're there to see a girl and there's another guy there, even if he's non-threatening. Uh, but, like, I've, I've seen you kind of work a room before. You're, <laughs> you're very, very good, maybe too good, at uh, engaging with the, the, the guys that, like, would otherwise maybe be in your way if you're trying to speak to a girl or something yeah. along those lines. Yeah. Uh, to a point where like sometimes the girl may become an afterthought for you. Yeah. I, I just kind of get lost in conversation sometimes. I just kind of take it wherever it goes, but no, it was fun. And it's not like I've always been like this, you know, I've never been like the social person, but finding poker helped me find myself. I think. Oh my God. Dude, what a bumper that sticker. So that's cute. adorable. No, it's not, it's not supposed to be cute. It's supposed to be fucking real. God damn it, man. I say something, I say something real and I get, no, I get, you on, get the corny on, on Berkey's bumble, it says, I have never drunk or done a drug. That is I not what it says. <laughs> not at all what it says. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> not, neither of those things. <laughs> what is it? What is it? What is it? No, I'm coming to do it again. Keep going to yeah, get it right. Go ahead. No. First of all, that's not what any of that says. What uh, is it? it was a joke about prompts on Hinge where you can like leave a voice It's memo. voice prompts, yeah. Uh, but it, it, I, that's not what's up there anymore. My bubble... It's not up there anymore. anymore. Yeah. I, think, I think all my profiles just say the same thing. Something along the lines of like a uh, former collegiate athlete from Pittsburgh. <laughs> Based. Wow. Or something along those lines. Uh, the former collegiate athlete is a, is a, well, you wanna, a far stretch, you, you know? You just, Wow. I mean, it's real. What a shot, bro. You just want them to know that you hit the gym, man. Yeah. Uh, instead of, instead of me posting a picture of me shirtless holding a fish, 
I just <laughs> said that I used to play college sports. I don't know. The shirtless fish is kind of strong too, though. It's not. I promise you. Might it's like one of the. the it's like one of the number one uh, stereotypical no nos uh, when is it there? comes to like online dating. No shirtless fish, guys. Right. Unless you're Alec. <laughs> Shout out to my man Alec. I know he he's got a shirtless pickleball shirt. Is he, shirt, shirt, is he or, shirtless fish? No, he for sure has a shirtless pickleball uh, picture for sure. Probably like, for sure. For sure. Okay, bro. he balls. Yeah. See, look. This is what this is what every dating profile <laughs> ever looks like. Why do they look so strong? What do you mean? That looks like a nice. You think fish. weak people fish? Weak people. You, you have to pull in the fish by being strong. Yeah. Jason Momoa's on there. <laughs> well, he's not really looking. He's a fisherman. I love fishing. What's fun? Um. So people in the chat are asking about the shit that went down on Hustle yesterday. I didn't watch, but. I don't think anything really happened. I saw that um, Eric's Eric Person's tweets were removed, and that he and Doctor Batman did a podcast on Vertucci today. So I'm sure, like any answers you're looking for, you can find there. Uh, it seems to be much ado about nothing. Eric just seemed like pretty hot about uh, Doctor Batman making a joke at his expense. Mister Doctor Batman. Mister Doctor Batman. Sorry. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I don't know what their dynamic is. I don't really pay very close attention uh, to those two specifically. The last time I saw that, the last time I saw anything Doctor Batman related was whenever he rocketed off like a quarter million or whatever it was to Eric with Queens on Ace Ten X Five Ways Bomb Call Turn Ten Bomb Call River Brick Bet Jam Call Off Queens. So like that was entertaining <laughs> yeah and quite the torch it, um, it was it but, was not great i mean eric had the nuts god bless him he caught the hell of a punt but like outside of i think that was the last time that i even knew that he played on stream i didn't realize he was even playing like max Payne monday or whatever the fuck yeah <clears throat> yeah there was some eric went on like a tweet storm and then like i'm not playing i'm guessing back. by the fact that it's deleted and he did a podcast that something else uh like there was some misinformation being spread i i just yeah. don't care to be quite honest <laughs> I'm, I'm in the same boat uh, man. i think i think eric is the gatekeeper him and keating are like the gatekeeper to stream games they and got the pitchforks out holding I, the gate i trust whatever uh whatever it is that he wants to do with regards to how he approaches stream games is going to be accepted by any and all venues because he throws a fucking party man yeah guy's a good host you know he says, hey, come to my show. Uh, it's going to be a little loose action. There's going to be some gambling going on. A little bit of V-pipping, if you will. Uh, and, you know, we might just throw the quadruple straddle on for a round or six. Or uh, the entire stream. Yeah, the entire stream. You know, whatever. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> the man knows how to get it off. And he's clearly much more important than any other figure uh, in these streams. So, you know, what he wants, he's going to get. Yeah. Who's going to say no? Uh, whoever says no doesn't get invited to the game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that does kind of suck, I guess. Uh, I, I've been in the high-stakes community for a long time, and I've seen many uh, good action players come and go. And they obviously get... They kind of get the run of show, uh, regardless of if it's streamed or off-streamed. They kind of get to be the ones who dictate... The lineups and uh you know all of the the call it the the 
additions to the game, whether it's you know a house game that's going to have party favors or a casino game that's going to have lax rules, whatever. The bells and whistles. If yeah, you know. it's everything, even the stakes. Like yeah, they, they control they, it all for sure, hundred um, percent. But what I will say is, the games that I've seen last the longest are the ones where there is some respectful boundaries between the game runners and the VIPs. By longest, you mean week after week or just that specific day? No, longevity. Uh, longevity, like week over week, year, okay. year yeah. over year. Um, so, uh, you <laughs> I know, see I, I mean, here's the thing. Like when you start playing nosebleeds, uh, guys like Eric know their worth. And the thing is like, I don't even know that Eric's necessarily losing in the lineup that he creates. Um, but he knows his worth as far as like a facilitator goes, a guy who moves money around the table and a guy who's like capable of going off. This is what I built my career off of, right? It was like, uh, there was a lot of criticism as far as like from the watchful eye of saying, uh, Berkey sucks. And it's like, well, you all don't understand. You're comparing me to like what a GTO bot would do in this situation. Yeah. And I understand that the value that I bring to a seat is facilitating the movement of money. Right. So if that means me giving a little bit too much loose action in a spot where I'm probably not giving up that much to do so you just fucking do it yeah i mean you're an action gambler but you're not giving andy infinite action gambling right yeah you don't do it to andy but you you know you do to the people that matter uh but the whole point that i'm getting at is that it does become a slippery slope whenever uh guys like eric keating uh whoever is kind of like in control of these these games now yeah just have uh complete uh, yeah like un unrelegated power go on um well i mean they just control the environment like if you think about this like this is just this isn't just high stakes like this is every home game that's yeah like two five and bigger like around america well it also just i think that there i think it's important to separate the game runner from the game itself mm -hmm. uh to a large degree because the incentives don't align disalign and if like you are a game runner within the game um it, there's too much there's too much room for selfishness right yeah so if keating and and eric take on the responsibility of both being vips and the game runner uh what ultimately ends up happening is a they get overwhelmed so that in and of itself can harm the the longevity of the game right like they could just get bored uh or overwhelmed and not want to um you know create lineups anymore uh but number two they run the risk like it's it's not like they're the only two vips and people who need to be catered to right so they start to create this hierarchy where they have uh, too much of a power dynamic over other VIPs who could otherwise walk away and just co-create their own environment where they're the kingpin. So you're saying it's like there's checks and balances, but there's no balances. Right. That's why I think like it's very important to have like respectful boundaries between a game runner and VIPs. Like I think Jerry B was really fantastic at this, where he didn't quote unquote let the inmates run the asylum. Because he kept running the asylum. Yeah. But he was also always in the game, right? He was in the game, but like truthfully, he was answering to Baldwin, right? Gotcha. So there was still like, you know, this this kind of a balance, uh, a checks and balance. Yeah, yeah, there was a certain level of checks and balances where it's like there were plenty of VIPs that literally could you know, you would lay out the red carpet for mm -hmm. that those guys would just like be very stern with it, just be like, Fuck you, I'm not bending these demands yeah like you don't want to play here don't play here because we know we're the only game in town you know what i mean it's like it's kind of the give and take where it's like eric and and keating know that they build the best games and that they are absolute kingpins and uh critical um players to any sort of high stakes stream yeah um and on the other side it's like well there isn't just one place that they can, they have an outlet for that right they have multiple to choose from so there isn't really any leverage from 
hustler or live at the bike or poker go or anybody like that like they can just say fuck you we'll start our own if they want to right but back when jrb was running the game in ivy's room it was the only game in town it was literally if you were in vegas you were not going to find comparable stakes anywhere so he had the ability to like uh you know kind of stand his ground when it came to things that were important for the uh overall ecosystem why was that the case why was that the only place you could play high stakes there's just no it's hard to run a game man it's hard to run a game nobody wanted to challenge them because you know that at the time that group was just so powerful within the industry mm. when you're talking about like the jrbs the bobby baldwins the robles you just uh, lose your seat as well like well that was the thing it was like other people who were potentially capable of running the game were like on the fringe of being able to play this game some of the time but not always uh you know they basically didn't want to they didn't want to shit where they eat they didn't want to um they didn't want to harm their relationship with jrb baldwin whatever because it was a very important one to keep keep up and this even like went down to like the pro levels where it's like you know they're never getting in the game but if they if they try to challenge what has already been built they run the risk of just kind of getting squashed right yeah where that's not the case now now it's like much more competitive uh there were a few guys like Doxians and harrison who they were smart they ran much smaller games and it kind of flew under the radar where like jerby knew about it but they weren't there wasn't a huge crossover in the player pools so he kind of just like let it exist for a long time that 100 200 200 400 game was running at aria either by keating hosting it uh doc sands or harrison it was running at aria maybe not simultaneously as the 3612 but you know uh different times of day or different days uh on off days whatever mm -hmm. and it was like kind of like this this cooperative experience where uh you know at the time, maybe Jeremy didn't see it, but he was like help building the next wave to kind of take over the high stakes beer and, and expand it. And ultimately, uh, you know, COVID really was what destroyed the, the Ivy's Room game, but it was facing a lot more competition. Isn't the high stakes arena expanding not a good thing for JRB if he has such a lock on the overall environment? Um, I, yes, but that's the reason why it didn't expand. Like, when he had his game, it didn't expand because of this. Like, he just... <laughs> that is a, Gatsby has eaten the tortoise. Gatsby just stole the tortoise off the desk. That was all he desk. wanted, man. He wanted his toy. That Bro, it's absurd. not... Okay, so Gatsby's here to block my pants. <laughs> he just was whining for a good 15 minutes because he wanted to fuck around with this this tortoise and now the tortoise is being eaten and gonna be the funny part was it was never a chew toy until newt accidentally stole it this uh, tortoise yeah when uh, a few days ago when he was here <laughs> so newt like stole it and chewed it up a little bit and gatsby saw that and now he thinks it's a toy oh my god he's gonna <laughs> demolish this tortoise yeah. but yeah no to your point like it, it certainly <laughs> wasn't a good thing for the long or the the big picture or there to be any level of competition yeah at the high stakes um but you know, you can only care about so many things. Like, at, at its peak, that Ivy Room game was wild. Boston. I mean, we're talking like five or six days a week where they're playing just anywhere between 3600 to 1K, 2K, or 3612, or, you know, 61224, whatever. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what is happening right now? We're under attack, we're under siege. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing Henry probably just either came or left. Attack on Scout. Poor girl. 
Gatsu right now is the rake and Brian is the tortoise in his mouth <laughs> for his $200 tournament. Sorry, guys. Oh, no. I don't know why Guapo went down there. <laughs> he went to go survey the situation. So like, but you. it would have been so much better start for me to go. Uh, this is what happens when you try to sell the house. Yeah, that's true. Bad Owen. Bad, bad Owen. Guapo, please come back. <laughs> I, if you switch off of me, I can go get the dog. No, he's done it. He's done it. He's okay. done it. The man's done the job. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I guess in the same sense, you can only control so much of your JRB anyways before it goes, uh, like more things start happening, right? Yeah, I mean, to some degree. Uh, the, the thing is, is that again, uh, when it's all said and done, people are going to understand their worth to the environment. So like as there individuals, was a, there like, was a, yeah, there was a ton of times where like guys were just losing because they're bad players, but they would like blame the lineup that JRB put together or the fact that they weren't getting enough, uh, you know, reasonable plays or whatever, like a million different small things that uh, probably had very little to do with their win loss rate, right? right. Um, and then what ends up happening is they are like, well. Uh, you know, they, they're, they're like, well, I'm losing, and I'm losing in this game. Huh? It's downstairs. <laughs> I mean, I definitely am not. I parked on the street, but whatever. Um, you know, they'll, they'll blame a lot of those things, and then, like, maybe Keating pops up a 200-400 game where he's like, oh, I have all these wells in town from New York. Like, you've never played with them before, but they're really soft, yada, yada, yada. And they're like okay let me go play that and then they win right and all of a sudden they become a customer to keating this reminds me of when uh daniel put out that thread or like bullet point list before threads became mainstream mm. about things that are quote-unquote good bad for a poker game you remember that mm. when it was like winning players bad for the game uh vaguely it was like a whole he made a whole bullet list of things where it's like now if you can check off some of these things for the private game you are now more valuable to the environment. Yeah. Where if you are sociable, you can bring people that are action. Yep. You're a losing player. Like that just makes you good for the game as a whole. Yeah. So now if you can check off a lot of those boxes, you're always going to get a seat and you're always going to be able to be in the mix, yeah. so to speak, until that might change because yeah, we yeah. know of like the back, the inner workings between pros and uh, action players sometimes yep. in order to either get seats themselves or just do some coaching for profit or whatever you want to call it. I mean, it's harder than ever, I think, for people who are competent to get into the games because what's happening is, and this will kind of lead us into our conversation today, but um, recreationals are getting competitive. You know, Like they want to be better and win. Yeah, like I think Eric is a very competent poker player. Yeah. You know, he gives a lot of loose action and he makes a lot of mistakes uh, according to theory, but like... Still annoying to play against. Very annoying to play against, and if you compare him to like, you know, losing players of five years ago, it's not even remotely close. Right, because he also kind of fills a void of not just playing the game to slowly bleed out a loss rate, but he's just high variance, high octane. Yeah. I'm going to win or lose houses, and you have to be willing to put up. Yeah, yeah, which honestly is like very great for the environment, but the thing is, is that um, now all of a sudden everybody is is pretty hyper aware like what wins and what doesn't so like strategically yeah okay like you know for the for the seven eight years or whatever that i was playing high stakes like i played very similar i guess maybe to eric where uh i was just a very high variance player and just kind of getting after it and you know 
winning and losing a lot, but money flowed through me kind of thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we didn't have like clear understandings of what the mechanics were supposed to look like. So I opened 5X and that was just bigger than everybody else. And all it did was make the gameplay bigger. It's not like anybody's ranges changed very much or right. anything along those lines. Or, and, and then players ever good thought that you were bad because of exactly it. exactly right but now uh it's it's pretty impossible to break the mechanical structure of how the game functions right because everybody mimics so well and everybody has everybody even recreationals have access to like what uh simple hand charts look like and stuff like that so they're not 10 pips too wide anymore they might be one or two right it's not loose and dead money in the same way as it used to be right where if people are putting money in the pot either through a limp or a raise of some sort they're kind of aware that folding is probably not going to be a good counter right facing aggression right and you know back then it was like whenever you had the the guys that nobody really considered to be good for the game uh they were just super tight so it's not like they were tough they didn't play tough. They didn't. No. They were just passive tight. They just won. And it was difficult. Yeah, months. it was difficult to get money out of them, and sometimes we flop sets and win, and that was frustrating and annoying, right? Um, but the uh, the landscape now is such that when you look at a guy like Stanley Tang, or why are you so amazed that he ripped shredding the, he, this? He thing? ripped the foot off. Yeah, it's he's shredding it. It's <laughs> a piece of plastic. Uh, I thought I thought it'd be a lot more uh, strong. Uh, when you look at guys like Stanley Tang or wesley yeah that you know by all accounts if you're a top level professional these guys are quote-unquote wrecks mm -hmm. uh to the actual player pools that they're playing in they're good they are they're very or good. they're like tough you know they're not giving anything up no so they they could even be losing players in the environment but it's not so obvious as to how they're losing that it really matters to uh the people who are there that are willing to kind of mix it up and gamble like eric right or they do something that's losing in the sense of pick a candidate to bluff that shouldn't and it's just harder to play against naturally when you're facing high five-figure bets on the river with a combo that shouldn't but now you're forced to bluff catch yeah so losing players i mean that's always been the case but uh well, what i'm more so speaking to is now everything looks like you're a professional so everybody's on the lookout now. So before, like, there was nothing you could really mechanically do other than play super tight that would make people think that, like, you're a professional and you're no good for the game. Oh, sure. But now, mechanically speaking, like, there's a lot of guys like Eric who look at somebody like Wesley and say, he's a professional. Like, I'm not, I'll never play with him again. And he's, he's openly said this, right? But there are actual professionals like Yo Viral that he's very willing to play with because Yo gives a ton of fucking action. Right. Yo doesn't, quote unquote, play like a professional, mm -hmm. right? And that's... That's the difference. Like it, it boils yeah. down to the sheer mechanics of like, I want to know if I'm a gambling individual in this environment. I want to know that when we sit down, uh, there are obvious ways that I can extract money from you. Right. The new way to be able to get into, into games would be not how you play, but how you win. Correct. Right. Because like you win by gambling, you win by giving action yep. instead of you winning by sitting there playing 15% of hands, playing a 8% three bet and uh sea betting yeah. with your very tight range and this has always been true the way that you win has always dictated whether or not you get a seat but it was different before before it was about not making people uncomfortable so it was about being amicable uh right if you were nice you still had a seat not just nice but like petting pot instead of 2x pot in spots where you just knew you were nutted and they were going to call 
Right, like you're like, supposed to bet bigger, but because you know the environment, you bet pot. You shear instead of skin. Yeah. You know, that, that was the, the thinking before, uh, was that if you're just the guy who's constantly blasting off for uh, the uncomfortable sizings versus recreationals, they're going to not want your action anymore. Exactly. Longer. It's too annoying. It's like I'd rather just play someone that's going to bet three quarters pot everywhere instead of bang, playing against a guy right because it doesn't pot. take that long for them to understand they don't make good hands often enough and they're folding pretty good hands that they would call a smaller bet with right it's like if you bet smaller i'd call you but you keep doing this and i don't want to play anymore exactly exactly you kind of back them into a corner and that that hasn't really changed but what has changed is uh the simple mechanics of the game flow so these bigger bets are a lot more custom customary now and with recreationals uh this will carry us into the the study topic but they play uh you know, they're very mimetic in nature. They don't have time to put hundreds or thousands of hours no. into study. They just want the so answers. they just watch the mechanics of what goes on around them and they mimic it. Right. And they try to do so logically, right? Like, oh, I see that there are times where people like bet 2x the pot. Maybe I can bet 2x the pot. And then somewhere down the line, they have the nuts on the river and they're like, I'm going to try this 2x <laughs> pot thing. Right. You know, and sometimes it works and they're like, fuck yeah, I like this. I'm going to mm -hmm. do this more. Right. <clears throat> I would say like just real quick, and I'm sure you can attest to this more, that... If your opportunities are more limited as a default, you should look to skin instead of sheer, right? Like if you only have a couple Depends plays in a live yeah. stream, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if you only get to play once every couple months, maybe, you shouldn't be looking to be not, quote unquote, not even like be nice in that way. I mean, like people, you people who are afforded the opportunity to play in these environments, they should just be very honest with themselves right i mean we've talked about this right where you said look like the way you play if you play on bike isn't going to matter that much because it's not like you're gonna right you're not like gonna be a staple or whatever right so just worry about making max ev and go. yeah i mean it. like for you you've made a career out of uh you know propping up your your methodology behind studying and everything else and being uh an uprising star in the game so it's like no nobody who gives loose action even if you go in there and like double your V-pip and just play like way out of line, no one is going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Right. Like you're just not going to win anybody over. I mean, you might, you might reduce their low expectation of you or raise their low expectation of you, I guess. Yeah. To the point where they're like, oh, this kid's not that bad. Like he's fun to be around, whatever. Yeah. But in general, it's like you should just try to maximize the EV of the spot because the likelihood that you're going to get to do it over uh, high volume is pretty low. Yeah, because I mean, I did have a conversation with some people uh, on Saturday who don't play poker professionally, but just love playing the game. Mm -hmm. And kind of what I realized is that most people don't know from a poker perspective that poker is actually like a pretty big industry. Yeah. They just see poker as a fun game. They want to play with friends. And when it comes to the environment, it's not like they really care if somebody's quote unquote good or not. If they don't know like what good is, right. but they do know they want to play with someone that they enjoy playing with. Yeah, and yeah. Can bring laughs. And I think that is that's amicable. like for, for people your age that are already pretty good at the game. And that's kind of publicly wide known. I think that that's the way in right. is to network with people that are also like comparable in age, maybe good at other things in other industries or whatever that enjoy this game. And, you know, maybe you're not able to just get to play a super rec heavy 200, 400 game, but it's quite feasible that you'll get to play hundreds of pretty rec heavy 2550 games if you're just, you know, a good dude to be around. Right. And it's you like, are. Oh, you're cool. You're chill. You know, you're nice. And you have a fun you're, and, you have a, and you're a good time. So, yeah, let's just play. Yeah. And honestly, too, when it comes from the sense of if somebody knows that someone's a quote unquote pro, even in that instance, they kind of also look for 
subtle coaching after hands as well. Sure. Where yeah, it's you also just kind offer of a value back. sense. Where it's like, yeah. oh, okay, what what should I have done here? It's like, well, okay, if here's the, here's an answer for you, and yeah. that's also still valuable as well. Where you don't necessarily have to go so hard into like the niche details of suit lording and right. combinatorics, where you can just say, oh, I think I like check folding. Yeah. I think that that's pretty important. Uh, and that's going to kind of carry me into today's topic of conversation. So I wanted to talk about uh, studying in this game and, uh, you know, basically how to get over some of the major pain points. Mm -hmm. As I imagine a lot of our viewers go through this. And I think all of us at different points in time have probably struggled with this a bit ourselves. Uh, we all come from very different perspectives. Like I come from a generation where God damn it, Gatsby's actually eating the plastic at this point. That's what I'm saying, dude. I was concerned because he well, literally... Well, usually he spits it out, but it seems like he's he's really enjoying the taste this time. Yeah, because that's because he got so much rake Tor money from the tortoise. Tortoise undertones here. Uh, probably has a little turtle flavor to it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, my come up was very different than yours in the sense that there was no real path to follow. There weren't resources. There was, was nothing. As... It was just figure it out as you go and... Uh, you know kind of determine what's best where for you you can kind of follow those who have already done it did you have the jonda book at the time no god no that no. came out 2015 or 16. it's the applications of yeah Mildum. yeah i think 2015 it came out yeah uh so no the answer i was 12 years into my career at that point oh shit. i mean that came out right before pio came out right, around, was right around the same time yeah yeah um pio yeah. came out in 2016. I thought it was 15, but it doesn't Same really idea, Same like idea, like beta testing, someone yeah. had it, who knows. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, the Dream Machine probably was like 2013, 2012, something yeah. like that. A lot of intelligent people in this industry that probably just weren't giving up information. But um, yeah, for you, it's like you kind of just got to follow a lot of paths that are already developed. You have a ton of resources to choose from. Yeah, and for Conrad, too. I think it's probably something in between where, um, you know, I don't want to speak to your experience, but... I imagine, given that you don't have a huge online background, that it was closer to my path than Landon's. Yeah, we learned in the streets, man. Yeah. Trial um, and error. Yeah, I think, well, there's a lot of problems with that that uh, I'll, I'll kind of discuss. But first and foremost, I, I think like it's important to highlight like what the major pain points are whenever you are trying to get good at um, an arena like poker where there aren't really answers, right? This isn't like becoming a mechanic where you could just get... Uh, a book on engineering and understand the better mechanics of how a motor works, how a transmission works, what goes where, and all that pretty uh, well outlined uh, A to Z type of, of approach. This is a lot more, it's a lot more of a theoretical science, if you will. Poker um, now. Yeah. Versus poker then. Well, poker always, really. Right. Now we just have the method machine where yeah, before we you didn't. We're just further along in the scientific method now, whereas before it was just like a lot of hypothesizing. Um, you had to test through just like playing people and then having very biased data. Right. So, yeah, when we look at the major pain points, I think uh, for first, I, I think somebody who is new to study or even... Um, is just trying to study more efficiently than they have in the past. It's very overwhelming. Um, There's a lot of stuff out there. Yeah, it's it's very difficult uh, to carve out some sort of direction or focus whenever you have just like this sea of information available to you and nothing is really confirmed. Right. right? We have like 
good suspicions as to what makes sense, but there's nobody out there writing the book of like, okay, these principles are all absolutely true. Next layer, these mechanics are all absolutely true. Next layer, uh, these heuristics, minor right? details. Yeah, I, that's the, that's as good as we've gotten is like we have general heuristics, I think, that are mostly true, but can easily not be. Right, and it happens a lot where like yesterday I played a hand where I had bluff caught a turn where I know that the ace being a side card for a bluff catcher is normally good but in this specific instance it was bad and you want to use a lower card because more of the bluffs came from ace high so heuristically speaking you could say that you want your bluff catchers to unblock their bluffs and those are going to be different in every different situation based off of stack depth SPR and what's supposed to put in uh, bluffs in the first place. So having a general heuristic is going to help in the sense of not losing that much EV. But sometimes you might bluff catch with a pure fold, just thinking that it's correct based off of something that you've heard before. Yeah. Like a good another good example, so to speak, would be on four liner boards. If you raise most of the time, your raise size is going to be very small because it's very easy for both people to have the one liner to a straight. But on four flushes, you actually raise bigger and polarize because if you're raising and reopening the action, you're repping nuts or nothing. But it's very easy to say, oh, there's four of the same thing. I'm going to raise small here. I yeah, did yesterday. I, I made a mistake. I, I think that that's, uh, I think the, the, the common underpinning to that is that generally speaking, most people are studying with the goal of determining how to execute rather than why a certain heuristic exists right. or why we want to execute in a specific way. So I think what ends up happening is they take an, uh, an otherwise boundless game, right? Like the, the, the vastness of this game is so large that we really can't ever reach the boundaries of it. It's like a it. book with infinite pages. Very, very close. So rather than uh, understanding that it's a boundless game and now trying to kind of rein in concepts that are fluid in nature, and just guidance, right? Because if you understand that it's boundless, you understand that um, nothing can be applied rigidly, number one. And number two, even if you do apply things rigidly, uh, the mistakes that come off of that will only matter in reflection to uh, the counter strategy that's employed. Right. It's We as individuals love to kind of make things make sense in a way that we can understand more things easily right? right so if we have the infinite page book but we have little wrapping like bows and we try to like put little bows around the things that we think make sense where in reality there's a lot of extra pages and a lot of nuanced spots where that goes out the window once you start trying to wrap everything up together yeah i mean it's it, to take that analogy a little bit further what it is is if if uh I don't want to say infinite because the game isn't actually infinite. It is finite, but it's just so large that it's 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 close it's enough, effectively infinite to us. Um, but when something is that vast, anything that you concretely say is true is almost certain to be contradicted at some point, just right. simply due to sheer volume. Yeah, and honestly, sometimes it's not even contradicted, but it's with a yes and right where you can have a spot where you have a combo that 
almost bets the turn always, but your specific hand mixes in some checks. So if you say, oh, this always does something from a theoretical sense, you kind of get slipped up, but at the end of the day, it's not that important, and you can just kind of simplify it to make it make yeah, sense. Yeah, it's, it's much like life. Anything that is effectively infinite will always have, or, or, or sorry, will will never reduce down to an always or never. Right. There will always be exceptions to the rules. There's always a gradient. Well, it has to be, right? Uh, you can never actually approach zero or one because uh, the fact that it's infinite, right? So as long as that's the case, then there will always be some exception that challenges the thing that you, you've created to be law or rule. Right. And that's, you know, that's why we are still exploring the universe and the brain and the oceans and, and things of that nature. It's like we basically go through this methodology of just starting to make pretty educated assumptions testing them to the best of our degree or the best of our ability and then saying we have a high degree of confidence in this certain uh response or result right uh and poker is very much the same um what i want to double down on then is uh another big pain point i think when it comes to studying this game is people go with the intention of learning a tactic over a strategy so go on. The, i think the vast majority of the community whenever they seek out guidance or study or put in any sort of like relative effort to better learn what's going on around them. Yeah. They're trying to look for tactics. So the majority of the messages I get are, where can I find a video on making better river decisions? Oh, or like turn sizes. Yeah. They just try to find a way to make things easy. Right. Or how can I better deal with overbets? Oh, right. And it's like, that's, these are all tactics. Yeah, it's like, the, come game, on. the game does not reduce down to these tactics. Yeah. These are simply mechanics that are a byproduct of a strategy that's taking place both in isolation to the spot that you're talking about, but then also at a, a general global level for all of these right. spots in, uh, in coexistence with one another. Right, like it's helpful, <clears throat> but sometimes it's not the answer. When you look at a game like chess, there are literally books that are like tactic books where you know you're supposed to try to find the, the tactic within it. Mm -hmm. But finding the tactic within it isn't the same as knowing the heuristic as to why Correct. the tactic works. Right. So now in poker, if you just load up a, uh, like a GTO trainer and you look at a spot that's only over better check, right? And you, look at the, and you look at your combo and think, okay, I can see overbetting sometimes, I can see checking sometimes. And then you click a button, you're not really learning anything unless you know why the overbet makes sense. And that makes, that makes poker so much more difficult because in chess, there is a tactical book, right? In poker, there's just a ton of contradictory tactical information available on the market that can make somebody's head spin. And again, it's not even that it's all wrong. Because the fact of the matter is, number one, most of these tactics haven't been properly uh, questioned and tested. But number two, if we're dealing with a near infinite game, then every single tactic that you come across at some point in time is probably valuable or worth something. Right. And also in a game that's like the difference of chess and poker is when there's a tactic, there's a very clear best move. Right? It's like, right. this is good, and it's the ultimate move you can make. Right. In poker, some things are mixed, right? So well, in also that just case, like, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, well, the best move depends on the response that it generates. Right, and if you don't have any idea of what that response is, and in most cases, that's what makes poker what it is, you don't know someone's exact strategy and how they're reacting to certain bet sizes, you're never going to have with the utmost confidence the 
ability to make the perfect move. Correct. And sometimes you're going to get lucky where you overbet and they call with a hand that shouldn't because they had some sort of deviation, but you can't know that to be true with confidence. But right. in chess, you know, oh, this move forces this reaction, which forces me to win. Right. So in, in complicated theoretical games like what we play, there are layers, right? So there is the, the learning general theory, then there's learning the heuristics built off of that theory, and then there's learning the mechanics that tie back to these two uh, layers above them. And what that ultimately leads to is not only is the learning process relatively difficult, but the execution becomes so hard. Right, most people wanna jump in from the heuristic standpoint instead of knowing why. Maybe not even there. Maybe they just wanna jump into the tactical point without knowing why. Mm. And I can, Sorry, I can yeah, definitely relate to that. Um, I took a course maybe a year and a half ago where it seemed like most of the things we were learning were tactics and not necessarily understanding why we were doing what we were doing. And to be fair, my win rate increased and I started playing better, but I kind of feel like I'm getting to solutions in a math problem and I can't really show my work. So I'm right. just doing things to do them but I really couldn't tell you why. Right, it's a good hack because it works for some period of time in, in, in like any pool that's susceptible to uh, these tactical approaches. But eventually, like you just get into enough spots where you're punting off EV because you don't have the proper tactic or more importantly, the proper heuristic to be able to solve it in real time. Um, yeah. To that end though, we would be a much more profitable company if we were solved for how. Like that's right. legitimately no joke. People just want the answer. Yeah. If we built if we built solve for how instead of solve for why, and everything we did was just here's ten tips and tricks to play jacks. It's rich, right? This is the way to attack a market and actually maximize your 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 business is to find the pain points, find the pain points, and tease them out as much as possible and without them. ever actually giving them a solution. Right. Right. And that's what tactical approaches do, right? It's very goal processed or goal oriented. So for your uh, example here, Guapo, the goal of the instructor is to give you mechanics that will increase anybody's win rate if they execute them. So in other words, play X percent of hands from each position. If you do that alone, you'll naturally start winning more money. Yeah, and right? the only reason why that works is because like if you try to do that against the world-class elite opponents, it would not work. The only right. reason it works is because... Or even just like competent winning regs. Right. Like it's, if it's, you're in a You're winning game, because there are people like, you, like previous you that had no tactics, no mechanics or anything along those lines. But if you... Right. So your win rate went up, but if you try to scale stakes, you'll fail. Right. There's a reason why you can't just start blind betting when you play 2K and L mm -hmm. and you get wrecked for it. Right. In some situations. So... With, with outlining what the pain points are and understanding that I always draw the parallel to uh, January 1st at, at like a local gym. And the way that I view people's approach to poker is probably very similar to how somebody who's desperately on a, a weight loss journey feels on January 1 when they walk into a, 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 a what's it called? A chain gym. Like an right? EOS. Yeah, an EOS or a 24 hour fitness, something like that, right? You walk in, and it's like a fire hose to the face. There's just <laughs> so much equipment everywhere. There are some mix between beginners and meatheads and bodybuilders all through the gym. Everything feels intimidating. I live for these memes. I mean, it's, it, the thing is, it's like very true, right? Like it, it's a funny meme because it's so true. Yeah. 
you know it uh, works it's relatable even somebody as uh, even somebody as seasoned as i am who's like been working out for going on 30 plus years i still get that sense of feeling overwhelmed when i go to a new gym right because it's like you don't want to you don't want to disrupt the the environment around you you don't want to um you don't want to be the person who doesn't adhere to the to the local etiquette and this is somebody who like knows what i'm doing like i don't ever get confused when i see a hack squat machine but imagine if you're a beginner and you've never seen a hack squat machine and you don't know what it is and i have a funny story behind that unfortunate brian's not here but the first time we ever got a gym membership uh it was in the basement of my apartment building in leechburg and we were 14 at the time it was like five dollars a month for students we went down there it was owned by this guy art wiggum greatest man on earth like he's fucking chuck norris as far as i'm concerned all right <laughs> R.I.P. Art. He was like five foot five, was uh, a kickboxing black belt, had done a stint in the army, had a porn star mustache and a full blown mullet. I mean, just like it's got Joe Dirt vibes. Yes, he was this, my cousin. This guy was the guy, man. But he was like two twenty of brick shit house. Like he looked like he looked like fucking Liver King. And he so, looked, he was like jacked. It's so jacked. Oh no, he so looked shredded. like Liver King, but wasn't jacked. No, it's yeah. like, like the parallel, like short, stocky, just like. Literally, I mean, not that level of leanness, but like not far off. Was he natty though? He, he was for sure. He didn't have like the, so was the liver king. He didn't have the definition. <laughs> wow. Uh, so we go down there, and day one, you know, we don't know what the fuck we're doing, obviously. So every day is uh, chest, ca- chest calves and bicep day, basically. Wow, you did calves. That's strong. Well, calves is what we use the machines for because we didn't have machines anywhere else where we were lifting, right? Otherwise, you just have a bench and a barbell, and you just do what you can. So we go down there, we see a hack squat machine. We don't know what it is. And Lamana goes, oh, we have one of these in, uh, in the high school uh, for the football team because he played JV football at the time. Uh-huh. He's like, I've seen people do this before. And he shows <laughs> it. No, so this he, is going to be bad. He, jump, he jumps on the hack squat machine. We throw some, throw some plates on the side. He's, also, yeah. he's, like, he's like, this is for calves. I'm like, oh, okay, oh, cool. Yeah. So we jump on the hack squat machine. He lays down face first into the <laughs> hack squat machine, ass backwards, he's pulls back. the handles behind his head, and then starts repping out calf raises like he's humping the fucking machine. <laughs> <laughs> and Art... In his military style with his hands behind his back, kind of marches over in his combat boots, like heel to toe, heel to toe, heel to toe, goes, boy, well, yeah, that's one way to do it. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck going on right now? And I look at him, I'm like, what are we supposed to do? And he gets on and actually demonstrates like what a hack squat is. And it's like, oh, of course. But now we look around and it's like, we don't know what the fuck we're doing. And obviously he knew and then he took you under his wing. Yeah, I mean, we were literally his only two customers at the time. Uh, like, we were the first two to ever sign up. He's just, you know, a retired military guy who's happy to kind of lead the way for the next generation. He's teaching the, his, the wisdom. But imagine that this was a 24-hour fitness. People just would have filmed us and put us on TikTok. It's true. Yeah. Do you, you know? think that most people, like, walking into the gym, like, newbies, think there's, like, gym etiquette and stuff like that? Like, is that something like, uh, I feel like it has to be trained over time, like uh, through somebody I think, else. <laughs> I think you could probably feel like when you are doing something that's like kind of against the unwritten rules, I guess. But like, no, when it comes to putting weights away, yeah, like, no fucking way. Yeah, like man. that, putting weights no away way. is like the simplest form of it. And it's just yeah. like, I, this feels like most people aren't going to do yeah, it. Yeah, no way. Because like people who uh, are longtime trainers, 
or long time people who have been lifting don't put their fucking weights away. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> you know, they're already setting a bad example. And like when it comes to wiping down equipment and all the all these small etiquette things, like no way. Yeah. They definitely don't get it. They they probably stare a lot out of confusion because they don't know what's going on and they're trying to watch again the mimicry, right? Mm -hmm. So they're trying to tactically get better by observing their their environment. Yeah. And you know, if if they're staring at girls it comes off creepy if they're staring at dudes again it still comes off kind of like creepy <laughs> people don't understand that they're just noobs and like they're they're beginning their journey and definitely need their hand held yeah so like guidance is so important and if you're lucky enough at that entry stage to be able to find a guide who's willing to teach you the heuristics and the underlying theory behind why it is what you're doing you will land on results. And that's the sheer definition of process-oriented approach, right? Yeah. So whether, showing up every day. The, the consistency obviously matters, but, but putting time in is like a natural, right? Mm. Um, but whether you're talking about studying a game like poker or you're talking about training your, your physicality uh, in bodybuilding or, or something of that nature, if you have no underlying uh, motivating factor outside of a final product you're going to fail because both the body and poker are too complex to just take a hammer to nail approach of okay i'm going to observe observe other people around me who are competent at this thing and i'm going to mimic them until i too have success right and i guess the difference between uh, something like uh bodybuilding and something like poker is in poker you can for the most part, it's not going to apply to you, but sometimes there are some generational talents where they do just get lucky and they're the survivors where they just show up, play, have yeah. some innate talent, right? But from all intents and purposes, well, it's less that's and not less. the case. It's less and less as we learn more and more. Like right. That's more true when the when the game was younger. Right. Right. And you'll see that in bodybuilding too. Like if you go back to like the sixties, sick genetics. Yeah. There are people with sick genetics who just like picked up heavy things and got fucking shredded right. beyond the, beyond comprehension. Right. Um, but so there's always, gonna, that's always going to be the case. Yeah. It'll always be the case. But like, as, as we learn more about both and this ex expands out to any sort of, uh, you know, deeper sort of science that is a bit more theoretical in nature. Uh, as as the science changes and we become more adaptable to it and learn more uh, about the heuristics, uh, what ultimately ends up happening is those who are willing to build habits, to build models that will help better inform their deductive reasoning whenever they are going to execute will ultimately be the ones that rise to the top and find some level of success. Right. And this applies across the board. I don't care if you're talking about sports, bodybuilding, health, fitness, nutrition, poker, race car drive. It doesn't matter. Right. It's all the same. Yeah. When you have someone that can either like help you optimize and you follow a process regardless of whatever the goal is. And sure, you can have like little mini goals along the way. But with extra knowledge, it's going to fast track a lot faster. Yep. Like I don't get to where I am as fast as I am without the help of Steven, Jeremiah, you, Nick, Chewy, right? It all happens a lot slower. Like, does it happen? Probably. What about but, me, bro? You wouldn't have taken a shower after you fucking left the gym for the rest of your life. No, I definitely would have taken a shower. <laughs> I just didn't ask. I should have just asked. Sometimes you fuck it up. Is, it is, uh, it is up. both fortunate and unfortunate that Conrad's greatest influences on you have been very impactful, 
but came from shaming. <laughs> Listen, That's man. That's probably true. Like he I'm is, not good at I'm not good at the presenting, but yeah, he's improved your overall hygiene a thousandfold. <laughs> Unfortunately, his methodology is like very I, mean. I'm not good at the metho methodology, but I mean well. Like I you don't, don't mean, I mean well. I mean your hair's shorter now, but like when was the last time you had any hair in the shower drain? Years ago, right? Not a long yeah. Yeah. That's just because I have no, I don't have hair anymore. Right, but it also just like never happened again. But it's unfortunate because it was because he shamed you, and yeah. that's unfair. He could just you know ask fucking nicely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was mutual. It was mutual, man. There's not only fucking my hair in that goddamn shower. But anyways, oh, that's right. man, anyways, let's get Connor in trouble. It's because he's bringing baddies like, home, right? I was uh, <laughs> faced. Shout out to Naya. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny because. Now looking at things that I care about when it comes to the process oriented thinking, I think of things in like a three step plan, like step one, find out what it is you want. Step two, create the process to get you to what you want to get to. Step three, you show up and you do it every day. Yeah. And that is how you can build a blueprint to anything. And of course, step two, the blueprint itself is the most important part. But once you have that in place, it's consistency. Yeah. And I think that, uh, I think you're a very good demonstration of uh, taking what you taking the process that you utilized in poker and figuring out that it does apply across the board in almost anything that isn't solved. And most things in life just aren't solved. We haven't solved nutrition. We haven't solved uh, fitness in sports right. or athleticism or any of these things, right? Like they're, they're all up for uh, this, the, not debate, but like more so you're on a spectrum and like nobody's sure. ceiling is ever going to be achieved. Right. So it's like, if you take this, approach of, of being process oriented and looking at it as like the infinite game where you're kind of delaying immediate ev for greater long-term ev gains uh then you do take this more mindful approach of like okay i need a purpose behind uh pursuing this in some sort of capa capacity and from that purpose i'll then derive heuristics that have a strong why center to them that i can always default back to Right. And I, you know, I'll understand now why it is that I'm implementing this tactic. Right. Realizing that everything in life can be, be an infinite game has drastically helped me uh, with my quality of life. Have you read the book by Simon Sinek? I have not read the book, Very but good. what I do know is that when you have some sort of process that you think might take a while and you know that you do get there by showing up, it gives it gives me at least it gives me purpose mm -hmm. where now it's like okay i have these things i care about i have these goals and dreams i want to chase but i know that i can't get there like that and i know that even if i can there's the result of the goal is not going to give me the fulfillment that i want right. where the fulfillment is in the process and the journey and showing up and learning and trying and failing and also having some successes along the way that make you look back and be like wow this was worth it yeah, I, I say this often, but I think that the idea is if you're approaching poker from a beginner's mindset and your your ambition is to continually get better, the notion is not to become the best player in the world. Like you don't set that bar. You don't care about the ceiling. The ceiling is unimportant. All you do is you continually set a higher bar for your floor. Yeah. Right. So you say, like, currently, if I take stock, here's where I'm at. I don't really understand much theory. Uh, I'm kind of flying by the seat of my pants. I'm mimicking people around me, yada, yada, yada. That's my current floor. I'm a losing player. My new floor is going to be a break-even player who understands uh, at least uh, on, on, in simple terms at a, at a zoomed-out level um, 
why certain things are incentivized within the constructs of this game, right? Right. Like, I guess I can parallel for myself being so new to the fitness type of industry, as well as like just weightlifting in general, where at first it was just always, and even still, I'm not going to get this right, right? But at first it was like, oh, I just have to go into the gym and work out and lift weights and I'll get strong. And then you realize, oh, sometimes you want to target specific muscle groups. And you're like, oh, no, you actually want to target specific muscles, right? And then you isolate and find out there's a lot more to the eye than what actually is going on. I mean, for me, I can kind of just like um, um, tie this into my, my poker for the last couple of years. Like for strategy wise, I felt like I was mimicking for a lot until like recently I've kind of feel like I've drawn out my own like game plan throughout things. So talk about the the previous a little bit because I kind of I think that this represents the vast majority of the community. I have it written down like bold on here. The idea of learning through osmosis. So like when you were saying before uh you know we're kind of in the streets and we're figuring it out on the fly. Yeah. To me that's that notion of uh it's almost a certain sense of ignorance is bliss slash arrogance is uh is a crippling factor here where you you convince yourself that because you've had some positive results you're both good at this game and good at sussing out what's happening in real time yeah i mean for me personally it kind of was the opposite like i never thought i was good at the game like when i was in these times like before when i say i learned in the streets i didn't mean like before i moved out to vegas like x y and z like i didn't feel like i was the best player in the game i just thought i had a good knack at the game mm-hmm. like i just understood what was going on for the most part i just i had some personal things i had to get over about my like you know just being too much action and stuff like that but right um yeah what what was your prior to like delving into any level of study then what was your process as far as like making yourself feel more confident at the table um i don't think i really had a process um i was just there and confident. It was just show and go. I was just show and go. Was just, keep playing. You know, I was just there. I was confident. I never had like a moment of like, oh, I shouldn't be here right now. Like, I just mm-hmm. never, I don't, I don't really have that in me. I don't think so. Yeah. I think what I have written down is I think that when you're in that, when you're in that mode of, uh, this is a game that is meant to be learned through play. Mm-hmm. Um, but more importantly, like learning through osmosis. Uh, this notion of like I can observe better players and do what they do uh, because I can figure it out right the notion of that is like number one it's difficult to separate the signal from the noise Mm -hmm. because everything that you're predicating it off of is uh, born out of results yeah right so you're just like looking at where pots are pushed Mm -hmm. and you're just like oh I like what he did there like I'm going to try to execute that in my strategy as well Um, secondarily uh, you are very much subjected to whatever availability you have to players that you quote unquote think are better than you, mm-hmm. right? So if you are talking about like when I was coming up in the early to mid 2000s, you're pretty much subjected to like your close inner circle. Yeah. And if you don't have somebody with like ridiculous talent in there, you're then you're already gonna be like pretty misled, yeah. right? Um, and then finally, like it does reinforce this notion of uh, a tactical approach where you're focusing on how and you completely lack a why, mm-hmm. right? So you just end up taking the fire hose to the face approach where it's just like, okay, well, I'm going to get uh, a bunch of training site uh, memberships. I'm going to get uh, a couple memberships to uh, GTO trainers of sorts. Um, I'm going to watch videos on YouTube anytime that I can. I'm going to listen to the Only Friends pod and you know just take away whatever I can from them. Uh, and boom, through osmosis, 
Like, I'm just going to absorb all of that and come out uh, a winning poker player. Unfortunately, you need to find a baseline. Correct. Like, and, that's, and that's what I have came to find out in the, over the last, I'd say, I don't know, 24 months, 36 months with you guys. Like, yeah. I, finding a baseline has been absurdly important to me. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I would do without a baseline at this moment. Like, I, like, I don't know what I would, how I would be in the game if I didn't put a little more emphasis on study X, Y, Z. The, the osmosis approach just completely lacks all nuance and heuristical strategies as well as um, you're looking at a spot in isolation mm -hmm. and saying, I think this works through a source that might not even have the answer in their own right, where someone chooses a line and they think to themselves, oh, this might actually be wrong. And now you're just going to keep getting punched in the face by people who are better than you and know certain bet sizes and know how to gain and capture and EV. That latter point is what really matters because when I was coming up, it didn't make a difference because nobody knew. Right. We're all shooting from the hip. So like the way that I would think about the game is I would break it down into like, at the time I didn't realize, but I would break it down into hand classes and I would assign a certain worth to those hand classes. So I would think before I even started my session, like, oh, if I make sets... Uh, I'm going to be certainly playing for like all in pots. Right. And like that's where a lot of my money will derive from if I make flushes. And so naturally then, what did I gravitate towards? Suited cards, connecting cards, and pairs, right? Like that was just my thing. It was like I was too wide pre because I put a higher ranking on making a flush. Right. So four two suited is fine. Like you we can, can make fuck a around and, and find flush, out. Yeah, sure. we can make a straight. We can make a flush. Like these are the these are the hands that pay off. And honestly, in the environment back then, it was so passive. You weren't really all that punished right. because if you missed, you just check and oftentimes like see way too many streets. You would over realize or like you would just give up because they had top of range and who gives a shit. Right. You weren't really getting bluffed off of pots. You weren't losing your your pot share at nearly the high rate that you do now. Right, and then also when it comes to understanding how much a hand is worth, uh, at least for me. I can categorize hands and what hands are on flops or turns and think, okay, this hand is a one, two, or three street hand yep. when mm -hmm. it comes to even bluffing or value betting mm -hmm. or things of that nature. Where before, when I first, like prior to studying, prior to knowledge, playing quarter or 25 cent, 50 cent, $20 buy-ins in my dorm room with the homies, well, I would play so passively where I'd check a lot of ASEX on flops and turns and I would kind of be sneaky but when you realize and look at the mechanics of the game, some hands are worth three streets yeah, yeah, and you yeah. need to get the money yeah, in. You're losing value on, on top of range. You're missing out on bluff spots because you're not being... Yeah, of course, of course. That's, that's getting... That's kind of, you know, to your, uh, to your trend, putting the cart in front of the horse a bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but, uh, horse cart, horse cart. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, we'll, we'll get to, we'll get to your methodology because I think it's a lot more current and modern and a lot more applicable to giving them, uh, by them, I mean the audience, the best guidelines moving forward as far as like how you can more efficiently approach this. Yeah. It gives you a step two in my three-step plan. <laughs> right. Uh, but I want to kind of outline some more of the pitfalls. Uh, so I think Conrad's approach of like just get in the streets and kind of learn through osmosis i think that represents the vast majority of the community and i think it signifies the majority of the pain points i think that for myself the way that i learned the game uh having no real resources or tools available uh is kind of reflective to what you're saying like people who are a little bit more predisposed to having some sort of aptitude to this game they're not going to try to learn necessarily through osmosis that will be a part of it 
but they're going to naturally just be thinkers. Right. They're going to rely on instinct. They're going to rely on instinct and they're going to have a certain philosophy to the game that they're going to try, kind of like pick apart. Um, right. They test their, their own hypotheses Correct. where they say, okay, I think a big bet here makes sense. Right. Let me try to do big bets when I think the spot makes sense and see how the opponents react yes. without even looking at a solve. Right. So I was, it, it's weird that I bucketed this in like kinesthetic learning, but I don't even necessarily know that that's, that's fairly accurate because really uh, the kinesthetic aspect or the play aspect is just curating data, right? So it's, it's more of like the testing ground. You just get reps in. Right. Uh, so I actually may have been a bit of a combination of like all learning styles where, uh, you know, it all kind of comes to a confluence of just me alone with my thoughts, trying to compartmentalize how all this stuff plays out. Um, but largely speaking, my entire goal from 2003 until, you know, maybe late 2017, whenever I started doing a little bit more theory work was to reverse engineer the game through common plays that I would witness. Right. So from the collective, like from your yeah, peers. Yeah. And honestly, like for what it's worth, this approach is still applicable and it's largely done whenever we're looking at like online data pools. Right. When you were studying for heads up, uh, I, I was like tickled to see the way that they categorically would separate your study. And they'd be like, okay, we're gonna look at like single race pot triple barrels. We're gonna look at like single race pot turn probes, right? And the thing was, is that you actually had tangible data for all these points. We had scripts already ran. Right, where all I was operating off of was observational data, which is gonna be heavily biased. And your brain, where it's right. like, oh, I think this hand shouldn't triple, I think it should. Right. I think this hand should double barrel, I think it right. should. Right, so to your point, intuition. But I'm training my intuition, it's gonna be a hell of a lot more dialed in then no offense, but somebody like Conrad, who's just kind of sitting there watching, observing and saying like, uh, no, I'm talking about Conrad of like five years ago. Relax, bro. Well, I'm talking about me of 15 years ago. <laughs> right. What's like, the point? The, the idea here is that a bad plan is better than no plan. Right. So if we're talking about my methodology as I was coming up, what it drastically lacked and why you didn't, why like once theory uh, and, and more, um, tools became available, made it abundantly clear that we were falling behind. Yeah, once the answers came out. Not even the answers, but like, uh, let, let's call it a little bit more precision. Once precision became a, a bigger part of No Limit Hold'em, what ended up happening is you recognize that uh, as far as like abiding by the scientific method, um, this reverse engineering style of learning that I was trying to execute drastically lacks the experimental phase i.e. running sims and the anal analyzation of data right because both of these things are only hap happening at a cursory level so the actual testing phase for me was just playing you know sitting at home with my thoughts coming up with a sort sort of like strategy uh and i've talked about this in the past like um djf was like one of the most difficult for me to play with in like 2009 2010 he just put all the pre he played all the hands and he put all the pressure uh monetarily speaking on that middle of range. Right. So I had to sit around and guy. yeah. So I had to sit around and dissect and determine like how to come up with a counter strategy. And I landed on protecting ranges, even though I didn't know what that was at the time. Right. But like I would flat jacks from the small blind versus his under the gun one open instead of just pure three betting it. And now all of a sudden I had a, I had a quote unquote under repped hand post that allowed me to bluff catch easier. What I found was like when you have an over pair post flop, it's a hell of a lot easier to check call three than it is whenever you're staring at like second pair or top pair bad kicker, 
right? And now all of a sudden you check all three with an overpair, and he does show up with this nothing ball, and you're like, oh, look at what look at the wool that's been pulled over my eyes all this time because <laughs> I've been calling with weak hands and then folding weak hands after the flop to a ton of pressure. Right. The best thing that someone can ask for is playing with somebody that will check call, check call, check fold. Yes. Because they'll just never have any sort of idea of what you're doing. You play bigger pots and you never have to show your hand. Right. Um, so though this methodology kind of lacks when it comes to the scientific method and uh, coming up with any real concrete theories or uh, executable strategies, it did give uh, cursory guidelines, let's say. Um, there were a lot of things that we were able to generalize throughout that 15-year period that did prove to be true. You gave yourself rules. Yeah, thresholds more so, right? So it's like uh, there were these thresholds where it's like we can aggress so much, but if they push back, uh, almost no matter what, if we don't fall into the absolute nutted portion of our range, we fold. Right. right? And that's a pretty reasonable golden rule to live by even now. It still works today. Right, because people are just understudied, right? Um, we would create thresholds whenever it was like, how many big blinds are we willing to put in with jacks preflop as opposed to kings? And it's like, well, kings, I might stack off up to like 500 blinds, but like jacks, maybe only like 125, you know, like that big of a difference because the error rate that, that took place based off of what you've observed. That doesn't mean there's any level of accuracy, but it did give us like a cursory boundaries of like how a strategy starts to move. And, and more, more importantly, it gave us a why, right? The how may not have been very good, like the actual execution of it but the the underpinning heuristics were starting to develop right that's why having a friend group or peer group that you talked hands with mm -hmm. i'm sure must have been paramount to overall success especially if you had somebody with talent where if somebody in the group didn't understand they would just ask why right and that is enough for someone to then have to think about their strategy right that was the actual so now taking if, if once you land on a concept now you run it back through the the rigor of the scientific method that was now the testing phase like does this pass the sniff test of my peers and when the answer is no it's like okay well am i wrong or am i just a bit contrarian and maybe they're overlooking something that could be true and you know it was it was a, it was a mix like sometimes you're right being contrarian and sometimes like you're dead wrong and like the the group think is correct yeah but the edge that was derived off of all of this by being so in tune to your environment and like kind of collecting data through observation is you get really fucking good at the meta game and at the psychological edge that's available uh within the live realm right. so you just get very very sensitive to how human beings will skew their range a certain way based off of how they carry themselves, off of the words that they say, off of an action that they took, a sizing that they choose. Even to this day, one of the things that I feel like I'm most critically good at is identifying a size that is non-native to a well-put-together strategy and being able to immediately bucket it with the range of hands that wants to choose that size. Yeah. Like, I'm able to get into the mind of somebody who's trying to freestyle in real time. Right. It's like, oh, well, you chose 40% there because it's a hedge. And the hands that hedge fall squarely in the middle of this board texture. So, like, this river is very good for you or this river is very bad for you. Now you get to start making really heavily exploitative decisions. Right. I see this a lot, too, in the online realm just because not everybody's perfect, thankfully. Uh, like, the lower stakes you play, mm -hmm. the more mistakes will be made from a theoretical sense. Where if you're studied and know what sizes 
work, right? What sizes work for you and work for your range. Mm -hmm. When you see something that's out of pocket, so to speak, yeah. you're like, whoa, this bet size for 75% pot on king 3-3 three, three isn't actually a very good hand because these, the theory is to go small. Yeah. So now like people actually cap their ranges by going bigger than by choosing the correct size where they have hands that aren't nuts anymore. Right. Right. And they're trying to hedge. And now you can make deviations that will give you way more win rate if you know somebody's at bottom or weak or like middle of range that can't withstand multiple streets of aggression. Right. So that kind of brings us now full circle to uh, if you were to start again today, if you were in the position of a lot of the people who are watching this pod, how would you approach learning this game in an efficient way without? being overwhelmed without being the newbie in the gym looking around saying this is just too much i would join a cfp that i trusted honestly mm -hmm. i would just get guidance instantly yeah and from there put in reps put in all the work you can do uh get fluent with pyo to the best of your ability and if you want to start with wizard by all means right if you want to start with the database of solves start there gain your strategy gain your baseline and then when you need to get better nuance in relation to the stakes that you're playing then you start to specialize and start getting into pyo and become becoming pyo fluent but i would always kind of have somebody in your corner that has been through it that can just give you some quick not even just like tips and like tools of the trade but just ideas and heuristics as to how to think of a spot because if you ask them why is this heuristic what it is they're going to have a good answer for you after doing all of that resource work of looking at sims themselves yeah i think one of the biggest values that people who are further along in the path than you can offer is saving you uh a lot of time and resources based off of heuristics right so um you know i think one of the biggest traps to fall into is leaning on people who are smarter than you in the game for tactics right because it doesn't reduce the error rate right but if somebody uh, tells you that like you know small pairs bluff on heavily advantaged boards uh, now they've given you a bit of a heuristic to look at and try to decipher why but more importantly um, they can tell you they can just tell you why this is the case right so if they just tell you that small pairs bluff they gave you a tactic right that's a tactic and that's a fucking problem yeah because now you don't understand how to apply it you never really learn anything and it becomes more confusion more noise but if they tell you like, oh, small pairs bluff because they're some of the lowest equity hands that you're going to have on these particular textures and they turn clean sometimes, which can now shift it from uh, a polar bluff to a polar value hand. Uh, now, all of a sudden, that starts to delve into a heuristic because they can now take it one step further and use it as a, a, a teaching mechanism for how EV shifts throughout streets and how uh, range advantage works, right? right? And now once you get those like really uh, high level heuristics that you can build entire strategies off of, you can be turned loose to do a little bit of work on your own, right? That's really beneficial and helpful. Uh, it's a huge trap to ask specific questions. Right, the difference between tactics and strategy in, this case is, in these cases is if someone hits you with, oh, just check raise paired boards. Right. Every time someone bets, just check raise paired boards for 33% right. pot. And someone asks why, say, oh, don't, like someone says, don't worry about it, just do it, just it's gonna it, help yeah. you win. That's a tactic, Yeah. right? And are you gonna win? Yeah, sure. But when you play people that know how to protect and know how to play turns and rivers well, you're just gonna get you're blasted. Because the mistakes are so compounding street by street. Right. Uh, yeah, I think that's really important to understand. Uh, and it comes from 
you as the student honestly i think like the best advice we can give anybody who is passionate about getting better at this game is spend all of your time creating a process that allows you to ask better questions yeah either create a process or pay someone through a sense of cfp to make that process for you even still even at cfp uh it's difficult because they're still kind of spoon feeding you. They're not. They're not forcing you to ask questions. It can be like a form of mimicking. I guess. Right. It, I guess it depends if it's like me- through mentorship or through like call it the detox method, where it's like, okay, data says do this, you do this, right? Because there's still tactics along those lines. But then, like when you get better, it becomes more of a strategical heuristic and group work from a sense of community. I mean, yeah, it, it's tough because like you don't challenge data, right? Yeah, like, so like the why then just becomes because data says so. Yeah. And that's a little bit more, uh, it, it just depends on like where you are. I think that's for like somebody who's already pretty heuristically sound. That's just trying to train, out, uh, like out train their bad habits. Uh, I think that's a much more uh, reasonable approach. I don't know enough about CFPs, like who's running them and how good they are. Um, but I do understand the training sphere pretty well. And what I would say is that the vast majority, and honestly, this conversation is making me, uh, it's making me a lot more passionate to grow our discord in a, in a more mindful way, rather than just in a, I kind of observe from afar kind of way. Uh, because what I realize is that the vast majority of the ways that new players are going to initiate conversation, and this is very clear in our discord, is through hand histories. If you look at our Discord, the Hand History Forum is fucking lit. Yeah, Hand Histories are tactical in, mo- in, in nature most of the time, but it's the best, like, one of the best ways to learn a heuristic because you personally are invested in it. That's well, why I'm saying, like, it's very critical to, to know, like, if you spend all your time developing a process that allows you to ask better questions, these Hand Histories can now be uh, the, the mode of transportation so to speak in order to generate the conversation right because what you really want to say is like hey here's this spot what do you guys think and then players that are better than you start to give feedback and you ask then as a follow-up what is the heuristic then behind that thought process that you just gave me right because that's all you care about you don't care about the tactic yeah because the like in elite company right everyone talks in hand histories as is because they have the idea of an overall overarching baseline mm-hmm. and they think oh what do you think about this deviation from a strategy or right. what do you think the overall global strategy is here it's not necessarily about how do i play this hand for the max it's about does check raising this hand make sense is it viable and if you don't have the quote-unquote uh other people or mentorship or peer group to review it for you and give you feedback you look to the machine because the machine will show you if you run like the sim for the spot what it looks like from a theoretical sense of okay this hand this hand and these combos raise why and if you can figure out why for yourself that will now lead you to a heuristic of like oh high card with three to a straight with low card unblocker likes to go for check raise and you see that happen over and over again you realize oh this is a recurring strategy which must make it a heuristic and not just a tactic yeah yeah, and I think that that uh, like what you pointed to as far as like going back now to the solve and trying to discover these patterns, I think that's very difficult. I think that's like step four or five as far as like the learning process goes. And I think one of the big problems with speaking with peers through the the methodology of hand histories is that they, if they're knowledgeable, answer you the same way as Sim would. So if you actually do challenge them and say, what's the heuristic behind that? You're going to find a lot of them will say, it's just what the machine does. Right. If someone says the machine says so without giving an answer beforehand, 
you're looking at a tactic. Some of, like some of the better players in our Discord, I've seen constantly just defer back to saying like, uh, "This is just what happens," right? And and there isn't any greater explanation there. And I'm not I'm not trying to throw shade at anybody there. Yeah, obviously. don't call out Mr. Sushi from Discord. Um, it's not. <laughs> I mean, Sushi's definitely guilty of it in some instances, but he knows why. It's yeah. just oftentimes I think what it is is that they feel so time pressed or short uh, that they don't want to go into the deeper explanation right. because. It's easy to forget where you came from, right? It's easy to forget that you started at a certain level too. And it's, it's also very easy to default to the fact that if you're willing to have a public discourse with someone, that you assume that they're your peer and not somebody who is many stages behind you in learning, yeah. right? So it's kind of challenging in a public domain to ask the thoughtful questions and try to get the deeper answers. But I implore everybody who's like passionate about this, who really does want to study more efficiently, the, the actual process that you need to develop is developing better questions to ask those who are further along than you. So many people don't take advantage of the fact of how accessible we are within our community when they're paying membership to us, right? Like you can hit us up anytime with a, a mindful question. Berkey's phone, bloop, 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 bloop. Not my phone, <laughs> but like, you know, Discord, email, whatever. Uh, you can hit us up with mindful questions of like, you know, what's the heuristic behind double barreling on King High boards whenever it's disconnected? And it's like, okay, well, we can come up with one pretty easily. Like that's that's what we do. We find the why here, you know, and we can give you. But it's if it becomes a, a should I've double barreled with Jack Ten on King Three Deuce Seven? Who cares, right? It's like if you have Ace Four Ace Five Sure, right? Like that's a tactic. It's just <laughs> like yeah, it's just like who cares? You know what I mean? That kind of thing. Conrad, uh, what? What would your advice be as somebody who's kind of more recently gone from the learning through osmosis to having a more well-defined methodology? Like, what was that process like for you? And what, I guess, advice could you give for somebody in a similar spot? Um, it's hard to be in a similar spot, but I would say to, you have to learn, get a baseline. Like, you just have to... You have to dive in to study. You have to understand like what's going on, what your opponents are doing to a certain point. And I think that it's everything's just so accessible right now that it's very easy to do. Yeah, I remember when I personally had a conversation with Jeremiah when I was still in his stable about two and a half uh, to three years ago when we were in Hollywood for just playing live cash or just like a stable trip. And I was playing 200 Zoom online. And from there... I still didn't have any real theoretical baseline, but I had asked a lot of questions and put in a lot of volume. And I told him, like almost in like a yelling match, what do I need theory for? What do I need a baseline for? I'm playing against humans. They don't play like the machine. And he goes, that's not the point. The point of having the baseline is that you know how to play and you know what spots look like in their default. Yeah. So once you have that default, you then realize if a mistake is being made or not. Because if you don't, now you're just guessing and brain solving without actually having the solve to brain solve with. Yeah, mm -hmm. it just brings you another sense of confidence as well when you get the baseline. Yeah, I think the, the most critical thing is that uh, the, the brain solving aspect of this, uh, again, it goes all the way back to the learning through osmosis and having the arrogance to believe that you've observed something and now have deduced logically how that extrapolates out over infinitesimal that means small uh, <laughs> infinite amount of uh, other strategic nodes within the game right we're not a supercomputer we can't do that so what does become critical is that we get some cursory overlook of how theory moves and navigates this chaotic system that that we call poker and then take that and extrapolate now 
with the layer of what we've, what we've observed and try to derive strategy. Right. Because now at least we're moving in the proper direction. We're not going to be anywhere close to perfectly accurate. But imagine the level of accuracy of just operating a baseline compared to freestyling. Now imagine the level of accuracy in EV gain if you compare um, operating a baseline with the caveat of your observational bias compared to just straight freestyling. Right. If you look at the best players in the world right now, like playing, call it playing high rollers, call it playing the highest stakes online cash, I would be very shocked if not would gamble that at least they've at least seen a theoretical sim in their life or sure. had some sort of information to a solve, sure. right? Nobody is just like straight pure talent, never looked at a solve, never looked at anything that gave them some sort of information or heard about it through someone else. Right. You just can't win anymore like that. Oh well, I mean, yeah, we're just we're, we're at a point in poker that we're so far past that. Like I think. Yeah. So I do want to find. I want to wrap this up by talking about the the actual baseline because we just threw that term out there a bunch. But like again, if you're starting, like that's like saying uh, just get a core group of exercises together and go lift. Yeah. Right. It doesn't mean anything because what are those exercises? What are how many reps do I do? How many sets do I do? Like what what are the what's the actual framework or template that I'm operating off of? And uh, I think the way to outline this for everybody, and I, I talk about this in the teaching talent course that I made like three years ago, which I think probably still holds up, though um, maybe it's worth revisiting for from my perspective, but uh, you can absolutely take a scientific method approach to this. And I think it's, it's empirical that, that you do. So step one is generate a good process-oriented approach where your sole purpose is to just ask better, ask heuristical questions. I don't even know if that's a word, but ask, <laughs> ask better questions of those who know more than you that will help you develop heuristics, right? That, that's the simple process, right? That's the, the, the cursory overlook of what you want to be doing as you approach this game. And, uh, you know, the, the underpinning of that is you always want to be elevating your floor. That's, that's your only tangible goal at the end of the day is to be better tomorrow than you were yesterday, right? Now, as far as like, how do we develop that baseline? You take a scientific method approach to studying this game. So first of all, you need to collect a bunch of observational data. So play, play and be mindful of your play. Write things down, uh, log hand histories. If you're playing online, keep a database that you can eventually run through uh, some sort of uh, GTO trainer or, or, or things of that nature. Secondarily, you need to research. And in poker, that's not that easy to do because again there's a lot of noise and very little signal so what you want to start with is get a trusted group of peers whether that is a cfp group like landon was suggesting whether that is a discord group or two that you have high trust in uh whether that is uh you know hiring a one-on-one -on -one coach or just surrounding yourself with a small group of peers who are in the similar process as you but maybe a little bit further along so they can show you guidance uh it's absolutely imperative that you're able to research through people who have already done the research so to speak yeah. right you want this is this is where you want to hack yeah. this is the only step that i think is worth hacking you know people want to cut to the tactical side of things they want to say like well give me a strategy and i'll just follow it it's yeah. like well, you're not a machine if i wanted to build a bot i would just build a bot and and the, the funny part about it is because the hack is actually just asking better questions at exactly this point. 
So you revert right back to the process, yeah. right? So the hack here is to curate good questions to ask and then develop a network or uh, a set of resources that you can ask these questions to, whether that's a training site, a peer group, or uh, a coaching for profit type of stable. Ultimately, you want to be able to stress test your questions. That's really what it boils down to, right? Uh, now, third, once you've acquired all of this information, all of this data, right, whether it's through play or whether it's through watching videos and researching the game, you know, at its nuts and bolts level, right? At this point, you want to start to generate some hypotheses. So this is where we begin to start extrapolating and asking corollary questioning or, or correlating questions. Um, and, you know, you could take a spot, right? So for instance, let's say you do a little bit of research and you come across this concept that you can donk as the preflop caller on an eight high connected board texture, right? So let's call it eight, seven, six. Okay. This board texture allows you to have donk bets. You don't know why. You don't even know at what frequency, but you've just seen enough things through watching training videos, talking to your peers, and uh, you know, studying the research that's available uh, at a cursory level that you can lead these board textures, right? Now, you want to start to ask similar questions, right? Well, first you want to ask, is this valid, right? But assuming that you've come across consistent research that says it is, then okay, let's assume that it is. We don't even need to know it's 100% valid. Let's just assume that you can donk on an eight height connected board, right? Now you want to ask correlating questions such as, if we can donk on an eight high connected board, can we also donk on a lower connected board? What about a higher connected board? What about a triple wheel board? Uh, what's the threshold here? That allows us to donk is it the connectivity is it the high card um and where does that stop being the case so in other words is 1098 the same as 876 is 876 the same as 543 right at what point does this stop being the case what if they're all one gapped is 8 uh 864 the same as or or similar to 876 right where where do these thresholds lie? And you can test this now, which is the next step, right? So now you run a bunch of sims, or you find somebody to run a bunch of sims, or you get a database of already pre-ran sims with aggregate reports, and you compare and you contrast, and you say, how consistent is this hypothesis that I have? How often does it actually come to fruition? And then you come to some conclusions as you reach step five and begin to analyze the data. So here you want to be interpreting the sims or you want to find somebody to interpret it for you. If that means hiring a coach or having a friend who's sharp with sims like, uh, you know, Landon, uh, I, I greatly appreciate this because I am the hypothesis guy and he is the, the, the test analyze guy. I'm I, a fly on the wall. Actually, I can, I, I can get to the, <laughs> anal, uh, I can analyze pretty well. I just don't, I don't enjoy running the sims, right? Just show me the fucking data and let me look at it. Uh, I don't want to wait. <laughs> Well, it's, Why now? it's an interesting thing when it comes to how poker has evolved and the ingenuity of it all, because the way that new strategies are formed are based off of questions of inquiring minds. And what I mean by that is if somebody runs a spot and the entire industry standard, so to speak, is you range check out of position because you're like a limp call in a blind versus blind node. And the default is you check because you limped. There's actually spots where small blind is supposed to lead. And the only reason why that 
would start to happen and then maybe take a press it like an overflowing amount in the online community in mtts would be if people ask the right questions because now there's gonna be a lot of stuff that people don't see that becomes a lot more common and it shifts from the online environment to the live environment and a lot slower rate live because people aren't as willing to put yeah. in the time to get better the, from the solved. It's, it's funny. Lane and I had a, a conversation where uh, he was jokingly saying like, oh, not even joking. He might've been somewhat serious, but we were, we were with uh, the, the next gen boys or actually we were only with one of them. Um, not Rosie. Frankie. Frankie. Yeah. So we were with Frankie and uh, he was talking about the, the uh, reels that they do and how like dumbed down they are. And Landon's like, I'm going to start vlogging. I was like, bro, you can't dumb it down enough. You just can't. And he goes, I can dumb it down. And it's like, that example you just gave is a perfect example is like why your brain just doesn't work in reverse. Like you're so many steps ahead. Everything that you just spoke about is literally now taking that concept that we just talked about and running it back through the scientific method four or five iterations. Right. So the ending of a scientific method is that you make conclusions, but remain open to the data changing. And what you ultimately then do is you take that now stress tested concept that you want to start to employ as a strategy and you run it back through. So now you observe again with this notion in mind of like, oh, we get the donk on these groupings of textures that I've come up with, right? The subset of boards we actually get to lead at some frequency, right? So now you observe and you see how often it happens in the wild. And you maybe play online, you, you see how often it happens in the wild. And you see online, it happens all the time. And live, it never happens, right? So now you take that back and you research the skin and you start to pose questions to your peers, to your training groups, to your training sites. Like, why is this happening live, not online? What frequencies, yada, 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 right? Then you start to hypothesize again. Errors are being made. Where can I take advantage of this? You start to ask better questions. So the refinement process, you are, a, you are very good at just leaping over, right? Yeah. You're good at extrapolation. But for those who are starting and trying to generate a baseline, it's very critical that they constantly go through these steps. Because what's most important here is the test and analyze steps of these that I have always skipped because I came from an era where the tools weren't available to test or analyze. I was the tester and I was the analyzer, right? It was literally all born off of my observational bias and my deductive reasoning off of said biases, right? Where now we have machines that will strip those biases away and say like, your intuition is correct, your intuition is wrong. So now as a more uh, elder statesman, so to speak, who's not gonna shun the, the more advanced tools in my face, I'm now stress testing my intuition at every step rather than curating strategy from scratch. So I often fall into pretty natural strategic adjustments that are intuitive to me. I'm a contrarian by nature. So sometimes I come across like some contrarian intuitive strategy adjustments that maybe don't make sense to the pool, but I'm able to test them and we can see like in solver land, sometimes these work, sometimes they don't, right? That's all great. So far beyond what we're trying to speak to though, right? Everybody who's watching this, this, this episode that's really trying to get more refined at how to study, what they're ultimately trying to do is figure out better methodologies to prune down the resources and tools that they use in their favor and sharpen the actual uh, heuristics that they're trying to develop. Yeah. The issue 
when you come from a how-to approach is to now go from a how-to to a why. Because when you look at the how-tos and say, okay, how do I get better at poker? How do I go from being a 1-2 player to sh playing 2-5? Well, you do that by asking questions and you do that by putting in effort. Where now you can't just play the, I'm going to play as many hands as possible and see what works and then hopefully find the right answer. Correct. Because that's why I, like, not to for myself, but... I've played millions of hands and I've, I guess, scaled stakes pretty quickly. And there's been people that have been playing for 10 times longer than I have and are still playing the same thing. Mm -hmm. Some things won't work or adjust if you're stuck in the ways of, oh, this is how it works and this is how it's always going to be. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, uh, those people ultimately fail because they have to because uh, the game is not that rigid. If you're not dynamic and fluid in your learning processes and you're not willing to be humbled, then you're ultimately going to eat dirt and eventually just like become a losing player. You die once your curiosity dies. I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Because once you start to realize, oh, there's other things that could be happening here, or I looked at this preflop spot wrong, or I had this idea wrong, this is how it actually works. Yep. You start building your skill set. And then once you start building your skill set, you realize that there's infinite things that you can learn and understand, and not every spot's created equally. And learning a new heuristic is always like such a light bulb moment for anyone that wants to become elite because now you put more pieces to a puzzle that can never be fully solved together. Correct. So it's just about who wants to put the most pieces together by putting in the most time and energy. Uh, yeah, I, th I think that, that really nails it. And I think most importantly, what it demonstrates is that it's not as simple as just being uh, a, a kid who traps himself in a basement with a solver and tries to literally just get the entire playbook. That'll work for some, but it's, it's short-lived. If you want to actually be able to develop uh, a, a deeper understanding of this game, which I swear to you will carry you forward in so many other realms in life where the EV is so much greater than what you can ever earn in this industry. Uh, understanding the, the true underlying theory of poker, the heuristics, and the way to properly think and problem solve according to those metrics will absolutely carry you forward in anything else that you choose to do in life. And that is truly what the ultimate win is in studying this game, in my opinion. Coming into this with a how-to approach and just saying, I'm actually going to run 100,000 solves and I'm going to learn 100,000 spots and I'm going to be unbeatable in the near term because of that will do nothing but burn you out and leave you wondering why you possibly, or why you ever did this unless it was just about the money. Right. right? You'll money grab short term, but you'll burn out and you won't be able to last because there's no reason to ever develop the why. It's effectively the equivalent of just scripting a bot, you know? Yeah. There's just so much to be said for finding an industry or career or not even hobby where you can put a process oriented thinking type of progression into effect. Because once you find a vehicle for that, you realize that it's transferable anywhere. Yeah. Because some people don't find it through poker. They find it through the gym or they find it through sports, or they find it through uh, communication, right? Where they just try a bunch of different things and you realize, oh, there's a lot more to be learned here than I thought. How do I go about capturing as much as I can with the, most, with the utmost humility and respect for the game as possible? Totally agree. Um, I'm going to wrap it there. I'll leave you guys with some quick recommendations as far as resources go moving forward. Obviously, uh, I think that, you know, we're 
We're working really hard to bring you guys uh, the entry level content that you need at selfroy.io. So be sure to check that out. Um, but in a general sense, get yourself a set of preflop charts that you feel confident in. Uh, we have a few on our site on the uh, Range Explorer, um, but there are many, many, many on the market and the differences between them are not gonna be so great that it's gonna matter. Just get yourself a set that you can at least practice with and utilize it in your study. Uh, secondarily, get yourself a peer group of some sort and or a, a, a coach slash mentor. Um, you know, you need somebody to bounce these questions off of that can possibly spare you some time and resource by giving you certain heuristics. Uh, probably should have said this first, but obviously, you know, it's very critical to uh, have a, a high degree of curiosity and understand that your absolute job is to refine your questions. So get to a point where you are asking better questions and get out of the um, the how-to mindset, so to speak, as Landon put it. And then finally, once you're ready for it, graduate yourself into some sort of GTO trainer, whether that is um, some sort of software that already has a, a pre-solved database uh, or it is uh, you know just an open solver such as PO. Uh, get yourself to a point where you can begin to test and experiment yourself uh, as far as like these concepts that you're running through as you're constructing your strategy. Lastly, just check in with yourself. Uh, you know, build out these heuristics in written form. It's very critical for you to be able to, at some point in time, actually be able to verbalize what your baseline strategy is and uh, how you are currently applying the um, the tangible uh, execution aspect of it, right? The the measurables, if you will. Um, so I think that, you know, by creating certain levels of accountability along the way, it's going to ease that process. And again, anybody that you're including in this process, be it a coach, be it peers, uh, be it a CFP group or a discord group, anybody that you're including in this process, you should include them in that accountability as well. I think that that will carry you forward so far. Uh, and again, I'm coming from the training mindset of, of, uh, just, you know, trying to get bigger, stronger and in better shape having an accountability partner there to spot you, to ensure that you don't miss that last rep, uh, to make sure that you are increasing your weight week over week, uh, all of these little things, right, to challenge you. Uh, it's it's imperative. And as I've aged out of it, uh, you know, having become more refined in my own process and not being a young man who's surrounded by a sports team or a, a close group of friends with a similar uh, objective in mind, um, I look back on those years and understand that like that was my baseline and without it, I would never ever be in a position to be self-sustaining now. So can't, can't emphasize community enough. Uh, I think it is imperative if you guys ever want to be competent at this game. On that note, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, as always, uh, we will be here for the rest of the week. Uh, we'll be at normal time tomorrow and Thursday. I believe we're actually going to be taking Friday off this week. Uh, Conrad is going to be heading to Florida. And uh, we have a few other things in the works as far as like getting content out and playing some uh, local events. So uh, only four days this week, but the 200th episode is going to be out on Thursday. So be sure to stay tuned for that. We're going to have something special for you guys. Um, again, I hope you enjoyed this Strat Chat Tuesdays. If you guys have anything to uh, include, be sure to join us on our Discord channel. You can find that link in the description below or leave a comment. You know, We always appreciate any comments and I'll be happy to answer any questions you guys may have. Thank you for tuning in. I know this was a long one. I hope it was valuable. We'll see you guys tomorrow.